Go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 19. Now there's an incredible story here about the absence of weaponry and the absence of blacksmith and why it's absolutely necessary for us to be uh, a strong army that the Lord wants us to be. Holy Spirit, do what you do best in this room. Transform it, transform me into conduit. Transform our ears that we may hear, open up our heart that we may receive, and I pray, Lord, that you will etch it upon our souls that we will not forget. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel. Now that was the strategy of the Philistines. The enemies is to capture or perhaps kill all of the blacksmiths in Israel. We don't have to destroy their whole army, we just have to destroy the people who are making the weapons. If we can destroy the people who are forging the weapons over a period of time, we can, uh, we can uh, take their weapons from them. Now look what had happened over a period of time from the, from the land of the Philistines raiding them over and over again. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattocks, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim. Now that's an interesting phrase. Let me read that and then let me explain that to you in case I didn't know what a pim was and I don't think anybody really understands fully what this Hebrew word pim means. But let me explain what most people think it means. The charge for sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, the axes, and to set the points on the goats. So this word pim, this Hebrew word, literally means pickaxe or mattocks or plowshare, okay? So it means that I have to trade in my farming equipment to get my other farming equipment sharpened. So I have to give you my axe to get you to sharpen my other axe. I have to give you something that could have brought a harvest into my life. I have to forfeit part of my harvest because I have to go to my enemy or go to the world to get my skills. I have to go to the world to get my weaponry, my tools, and the price for that is I have to forfeit part of my harvest in order to, to bring in the rest of the harvest because the only place I can go get it sharpened is in the enemy's camp. Now, some versions of the Bible has tried to put a value to this. So if you're reading from the NASB, I'm reading from the New King James Version, which is what I typically preach from. But if you read from the NASB, it says the charge was two-thirds of a shekel. Now, the word pim does not mean shekel, does not mean two-thirds of a shekel. What they've done is they've valued, put a value on a farm, a farm tool. They put a value on an ax. If you read from the New Living Translation, which some of you may read from that, it says the charges were as follows, a quarter of an ounce of silver. Once again, the word pim does not mean the quarter of an ounce of silver. That's not what it means at all. But what it does, what they're doing is placing a value on what you just traded. 
So the, the only conclusion that we can come to is that if you get your tools from the enemy's camp, in exchange, he wants to steal part of your harvest. In exchange for him sharpening your tools, he wants you, he wants to take part of the harvest that was intended for you. And I just wanna stop here and say that it's a wonderful thing to be gifted, it's a wonderful thing to get blessed, but that's not the same as being anointed. You may have a great skill set that isn't anointed, and if you got your skill set, as wonderful as it may be, and you have not paid tithes on it, or you've never anointed it, then you have given up part of your harvest in order to obtain that great and wonderful skill set. You may be the best, the best businessman in town, but you might have forfeited an eternal or a spiritual harvest to become the best businessman in town because God is nowhere to be found in the process. You may be incredible uh, at, you may be an amazing CPA. You may be a great hair designer. You may be a wonderful salesperson. You may be an incredible doctor or nurse or dentist, but if you're not anointed in your life, then everything that you earn that you got from a secular or a worldly viewpoint has cost you, if you're not anointed, part of your harvest. I went to a dentist one time. I had a tooth that broke in, in Ohio, and I live in Tennessee. And so when I went to the dentist, the, the dentist said, I didn't know him and he didn't know me, but I just said, listen, I've got an emergency. I'm preaching a meeting here. My wife is with me. I'm preaching a meeting here. My tooth is broken. Will you fix it? And when I walked in the dentist's office, he said, I will fix it only if you let me pray for you and share my testimony. I said, what? This is a dentist. And I said, you got, he didn't know who he was talking to, man. I said, yeah, I'll give you one of these in the middle of it. And so he testified and told me how Jesus saved his soul and he prayed with me and then he fixed my tooth and blessed me on the way out. And when I told him I was a minister, he would not take any money for it. And I wish I lived closer to him, but no, I'm just kidding. But he wouldn't take any money for fixing my tooth because he said, no, God gave me this. He said, I learned this from the school of dentistry, but God has anointed this as my place of evangelism. And unless I give it to God, he won't bless everything that I'm doing. So if you pay the price of a PIM in order to be blessed, you, it will cost you part of your harvest. Whatever field you're in, there's a harvest assigned to your gift. Whatever field you're in, there is a harvest field assigned to your gift. Now, when you continue reading this story in, in verses 22, 1 Samuel 13 and 22, listen to what it says. So it came about on the day of the battle, and I think they should have this on the screens for you. So it came about on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any people who were with Saul and Jonathan but were found only with Saul and his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan, his son. So get this. When the day came, the Philistines had raided them so many times, they had literally taken every sword, every shield, all the armor, and all the spears from Israel. So these men have to fight without weapons. So the only two weapons now in Israel 
is the king's sword and the king's son's sword, and no one else has a weapon to fight the Philistines with. That was their strategy to keep Israel under control. So here's the problem, two problems. There are no weapons to be found, and there are no blacksmiths to make them. So you have a spiritual condition in the world when somebody, when, when no blacksmiths are putting weapons in the hands of God people. I wanna tell you, you don't need to listen to me preach another time if I'm not filling up your armory. There should be something that I am saying that is setting you free somewhere. If you're assigned to me and I'm assigned to you, you should be getting free in your prayer or in your worship or in your house. Something should be going on because part of my assignment is to put tools in your hands and tools in your life to make you stronger in the Lord so you can run this race with patience and win the harvest of the Lord. So this is not just about preaching. This is, not an, this is not the entertainment business. It is about equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. So part of my job is to equip the saints. So what happens in the kingdom when no one is wearing armor? What happens in the kingdom when no one's bearing sword? And what happens in the kingdom when no one is making weapons and putting them in the hands of God's people? You end up with the Philistines in charge. And the word Philistine, by the way, means, if you look at its actual meaning, its Hebrew meaning, instability. So you end up with instability. No weapons, un everything's unstable. No blacksmith, everything is unstable. All right, so let's go on in this story. Now, usually when we say the term in Christendom, no weapon, we instantly get excited because we're thinking about Isaiah 54. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But that's, this is not Isaiah 54, this is 1 Samuel 13, and when I say no weapon, I mean no weapon. I mean we have to fight without armor, fight without a sword. In this case, it applies to the people in battle trying to overcome an enemy without shield, trying to overcome an enemy without sword and spear, and trying to win this battle. So when you, when you read this story, it's so depressing in chapter 13 until you get to God's secret weapon in chapter 14. So I wanna read to you some highlights from the next chapter because God decided that he wasn't gonna make his next weapon out of steel, but he was going to make his next weapon out of flesh, that instead of giving them swords, he was going to to raise up champions that could kill giants with slingshots if they had to, but he was gonna raise up lion-hearted people that had the heart of a warrior inside of them, and then they would find the weaponry if they had to use an ox goad, if they had to use the jawbone of a donkey, if the, whatever they had to do, they would grab whatever they had, but they would not give up the fight, and they would run into the battle and win. So 
when you get to chapter 14, you see God's secret weapon. Now, let's just read a few of this. I'm gonna read a little bit, so follow along with me. I'm gonna start in verse one. Now, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor. This is the armor bearer. Now, remember, there's, 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 the only armor they have now is Saul's and Jonathan's, and the only sword they have is Saul's and Jonathan's. This is the young man that carried that around so he would be fresh for battle. Come, let us go over into the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. Now, this is a stronghold where 20 men kept them from from, from breaching the borders. So they had a garrison that was holding the line, 20 armed Philistines that said, you will, you will stay behind the line, you will not go beyond the intended place for you to dwell. He said, but they did not tell his father that they went over there. And Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people who were with him were about 600 men. So here is Saul sitting in the pomegranate tree with 600 men around him, none of which have sword, and look what happens. Verse six, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised that they may be, that the Lord will do a work for us for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now that's shouting ground right there. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving where by many or by few. So the armor bearer said, listen to what he said to, to Jonathan. So the armor bearer said, do all that is in your heart. Go then, I am with you according to your word. So here is two guys, one sword, and two guys who run into a garrison of 20 armed men. The king doesn't even know that there's no backup plan. Either we live or we die. God's looking for somebody that says, I'm not going down like this. I'm not going out like this. My family will not have this in their legacy. Somebody needs to say, the generational curse stops here. The battle stops here. I will fight a battle so fierce that my children don't have to fight it anymore. That my grandchildren will never see this demon coming because I'm going to slice off his head and bury him in a grave and dance on the grave of my enemy so deep that I will rescue a thousand generations. And you can do that in the spirit. You can do that in the spirit. Hallelujah. But they said, come, let us go up. All right, so, so this is verse 10. But if they say, come, let us go up, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands, and this will be a sign to us. So what they did is they peeked their head over the wall, and the enemy said, bring it on, big boy. You're all by yourself? He said, if they invite us in, we're going in. So they picked up their head to just put it to the test, and these 20 Philistines said, bring it on. And when they did, one king's son in armor and another boy that just said, I'll not leave, you're not leaving me behind. If we're gonna fight, he didn't even have a weapon. The, listen to what it says in verse 13, and Jonathan climbed up 
on his hands and knees. So they're climbing up a hill. He climbed up on his hands and knees, his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And they and he came after him, his armor bearer, and killed them. So he is knocking them down. The armor bearer had to kill one to even get a sword in his hand. So he's using a borrowed Philistine sword to fight the rest of the battle. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a half acre of land. Look at this. They fought on a half acre of land. They killed 20 men and there was a tremble. When these two men ran into that battle, the Lord said, I see you. I'm not going to leave you down there by yourself. You're not going to have a fight without me. You went in there in my name. You went in there believing that I was going to go with you. And all of a sudden, the ground began to shake and God stepped on the platform. And when God came to the battle, the Bible says the Philistines got scared. They ran. Now, no one else has a sword. Saul hears about it. He and his 600 men get up off their duffs and come to the battle. And when they get there, they don't even have to fight because the Philistines are killing each other. God confuses them so bad, they are fighting each other in their confusion and fear because they're fighting in the midst of an earthquake. And God said, I'm just going to stand there and watch it all happen. He just kept shaking the ground and Philistines were killing each other and God gave Israel a win with one sword and one and two champion-hearted people. God is looking for somebody that says, I may not have everything I need, but I'm not going to sit here till I die either. I may not, I don't know what I'm waiting on, but I'm going to fight and God's going to go with me. Somebody needs to set your family free. Somebody needs to set your community free. Somebody needs to have the lion heart inside of you to go into the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen from you. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you and God bless you. And may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. We're not just talking about a physical battle. We're talking about a spiritual battle. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Somebody needs to pull down a stronghold. Listen to what that looks like. How do I pull down a stronghold? You know how you do it? it you cast down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and you bring every thought into the captivity of of the obedience of Christ. You know what pulling down a stronghold literally means? It doesn't mean that you're reaching up there and pulling down devils. Listen, if you walk in there with God on your side and your big brother at your right hand, they're going to run anyway. If one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, you and Jesus can put the whole army to flight. Two men just put an entire army to flight. But when, when God is telling us to pull down strongholds, the biggest stronghold, that word stronghold, a better way of interpreting that is headlock. If you've 
you've ever watched wrestling before. It's a headlock. What God is saying is, I want you to get out of the headlock and get your thinking back. I want you to get those thoughts that are crippling you need to become, they need to come down. Those thoughts that are making you fearful and full of anxiety and insecurity, that's what you need to get a hold of. Don't try to reach up into the sky and pull something out. I got that covered. I got Michael on your six right here. Michael's watching over you. Don't you worry about it. And I'm glad that Michael's on my six, but there's another one even greater than he. The archangels of God can fight every battle you're in. You are not alone as long as there are cherubim and seraphim and he could call a legion of angels, 10,000 angels. The choir of heaven is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. No, what God wants you to do is get control back over your thought life. That's the real battle for you. Instead of calling, you speak it into thin air, start talking to yourself. I know some people tell you not to do that, but the Bible says you need to do that. You need to start saying, I am bringing every thought into captivity. I am pulling down everything that's contrary to the knowledge of God. Every thought in my head that the Bible disagrees with, I'm bringing it down. Everything in my identity that the Bible disagrees with, I'm bringing it down. Everything in my family that the Bible disagrees with, I'm bringing it down. I'm bringing my thoughts back into captivity. All right. So God is looking for some spiritual champions who can be filled with, some men and women who can be filled with, get this word, tempered resilience. Tempered resilience. There's some people that can resist because they think they were born that way, but there's other people that they resist because they've come through something. And it's made them stronger, it's made them tougher. A few years ago, I was invited to Poplar Bluff, Missouri, to speak at a men's conference. Now, this was an unusual conference, and I actually had a, the time of my life there. I don't know if you've ever heard of one of these before, but they kill all this wild game, so it's like a big feast for men. So the whole day is filled with like archery and axe throwing and you know all the arm wrestling. You ladies would hate it, but it's a guy's dream day, man. I'm telling you, they're throwing footballs out there, and then they bring out this feast of all of these deer and and squirrel and rabbits and fish and things that caused wild everything was wild so they they made this big huge like wild buffet for these men these guys were gorging themselves i'm having the time of my life i mean we're out there we're out there having you know doing guy things. Our, the testosterone is so high in the room, man, I'm telling you, it's like, ah! You didn't even have to say anything. You said, look, ah! And the next guy, look, you go, ah! And we all knew what each other meant. I mean, you know, it was like a language or something. We, we, we knew what was going on, and it was that kind of day. But they didn't tell me there were two speakers that night. It was a one-day event. They had a service that night. And when I went into the church, it was full too, man. It was just packed with men. I mean, these were real men. I mean, macho, macho type guys. So when I looked at the schedule, I said, who's this guy? And Pastor Kent Miller said, oh, he's a Navy SEAL. Well, you didn't tell me I had to speak after a Navy SEAL. I'm going home, man. I didn't want to speak after a Navy SEAL. He said, oh, you know, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. No, I'm not gonna be all right. Ah, I'm not gonna be all right. I don't wanna speak after a Navy SEAL. But I had to. And this guy was everything you thought he was to and more. 
He is bigger than a tank. I'm telling you, he's got the washing machine abs. I did too, but I had a load of towels in about that time. So, you know, mine wasn't quite the same as his. He had a six pack and I was carrying a barrel. <laughs> so just for those of you that need a metaphor to understand what I'm talking about here. And this guy was ripped, man. And I mean, he gets up there and I'm expecting this, you know, I don't know what I was expecting. This guy is tough. His neck is bigger than our legs, you know. And he tells this story about what it took to become a Navy SEAL. And we're all going the whole time. And we cannot believe what this guy has gone through. None of us wanted to do it for a day. It was hard to even hear it. Then he told us how important it was to have the Navy SEALs to protect our country and all the training he had been through. And they ended by, accept, by telling us how he had accepted Jesus Christ into his life. And so that was how the story ended. And they said, okay, Brian, you're up next. I don't wanna talk, Kent. I don't wanna go up there, but I had to. And so I just jumped off of his platform and I changed my sermon in midstream. And I said, God is looking for some champions. And boy, for the next 30 minutes, I let go, man. I just read myself full, prayed myself hot, and let myself go. And I talked about champion. Those guys were going, ah, ah, ah. And we all left there, man, full of wild food and acting like wild men. And every one of us thought we were a spiritual Navy SEAL. We did. I made them feel that way before they left. They all thought they were God's secret weapon and God's special forces, and we were ready to take on every, every devil in South Missouri. We were ready to take them on that night. We left there, blood boiling. My throat was gone, but my heart was full when I saw all of those Mighty men praying and weeping in that altar and hugging on each other. It was, it was an amazing moment for me when I saw what happened after that moment. But when I heard that guy speak, I thought to myself, wow, God, you really do need some of these champions, but is anybody willing to be a spiritual Navy SEAL? Is anybody really willing to go through what it takes to, to be a giant killer and an Amalekite killer? I mean, some of us, we just, you know, we're, we're happy with the harp and David's song, you know, but to go in there to the battlefield and to do what Jonathan did and take on 20 Philistines with one sword and a number, can we do that? And the Lord said, I have to have people who are willing to take on those kind of battles. I have to have people who are mighty and the Lord, strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And that is why the Bible says, listen to this, in James 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and the patience having done its perfect work will make you perfect and complete lacking nothing does anybody want to be perfect and complete and lacking nothing I want to tell you there's no shortcuts to that kind of champion there's no shortcuts see here's, here's the difference in this sermon and the other sermon when I preached on the potter's will the pottery is beautiful at the end. It's very useful at the end. 
But the whole, prob- the whole situation with the pottery is that you, you get picked up, you get cleaned up, you get spun around, so your life looks like this for a long time. Oh, Lord, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to end? Oh, Lord, is it ever going to end? Is it ever going to end? And then all of a sudden you think, whoo, it's over, and then he throws you in the fire. In the kiln, no, God, not now after all I've been through. When you get through giving God your after all I've been through speech, you don't get out of the fire yet. But when you get out, it's like, whoo, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm fit for the master's use. And he fills you up and pours you out and fills you up and pours you out. Now you're breakable, but he fills you up and pours you out and you're just happy to be used. That's not what this looks like. Okay, so that's the potter's wheel. This one is made a little different. No spinning. He sticks you in 700 degree fire. And you go, ah, ah, ah. And God says, all right, you've had enough of that? Yeah, and then he takes you out and he beats you with a two pound hammer. No, God, the fire was more than I could take and now you're beating me with a hammer? And he says, yep but you've had enough of that on the anvil. Let's cool you off. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad I made it. And God says, oh, you hadn't made it. <laughs> We're gonna do this again. And he takes you out and he puts you back on the fire and you go through, oh, boom, boom, boom. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, boom, boom, boom. Thank you. Oh, boom, boom, oh, boom. And you think it's never gonna end. It's not like the potter's wheel. But every time you go through that process, you get a little stronger and you grow a little longer and you get a little sharper. And the Lord says, no, let's do it again. Oh God, I wanna kill. Yeah, but you can't kill the big ones. I want you to kill the big ones. Let's do it again. And he puts you back in there. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Ah, boom, 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 boom. Thank you, Jesus. And you keep going through this process and this process, and you think, will it ever end? And when you think you can't, you can't have, handle one more, one more fire, and you think you can't handle one more battle, all of a sudden, the Lord takes you in his hand, and he says, it's gonna be worth it all. Now let's go kill some Amalekites. Now let's take down some Philistines. Instability, you have to go. He said, that you have to go. Somebody needs to be strong enough to kill a giant. I'm tired of fighting giants. I want to kill a giant. I'm tired of the struggle. I want to dance on a grave. I'm tired of the intimidation of of Goliath. I want to cut his head off and hang it on the doors of Jerusalem's gates. I want to do something that ends the battle, not only for me, but for somebody else. God, I'm tired of just surviving these battles. I want to end the battle. Does that resonate with anybody tonight? Have you fought long enough with the same fight? Have you dealt with the same intimidation long enough? Are you ready to end the battle? Are you ready to overcome? Are you ready to be victorious? Are you ready to be a conqueror in Jesus Christ? This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners 
so we can expand his kingdom around the world.